Welcome to the Nonprofit Experience. I'm Sandy Sear, Managing Editor for the Philanthropy Journal. In this episode, we hear from two nonprofit development professionals, Allison Stauffer, an emerging leader in the development space, and Beth Briggs, a highly respected nonprofit leader and philanthropic consultant. I'm Allison Stauffer, a development officer with Tammy Lynn Center for Developmental Disabilities, and I am also currently the president-elect for Association of Fundraising Professionals Triangle Chapter. And I'm Beth Briggs. I am a long-term student of philanthropy, have been involved in the field for over 35 years, uh, currently working as a consultant to nonprofits. So where is your passion? What is it that makes you want to do this work? And why have you selected the nonprofit sector as your path? I graduated from college at the best time to graduate, 2007. And I was entering the workforce at 2007-2008, which we know in retrospect was one of the biggest economic downturns in my living history. Uh, So, you know, I I was a journalism student, and I had always been a storyteller, and I had always been a student leader and very involved in my community. I'm the daughter of a single mother, uh, a nurse of over 40 years, and who's a coal miner's daughter from eastern Kentucky. Kentucky. So it's in my blood to help people. And um, when I first got out of college, I was a marketing assistant at a, at a small business out in Richmond, Virginia. And I got laid off nine months later, and it was an opportunity for me to sit back and say, what do I really want to do? Uh, what is my career path? I, and through that work, I, I was working with nonprofits, um, kind of on the corporate side of things. And I said, you know, I want to help people. Um, So I started out in higher ed on the annual giving side of things, working with students, building student philanthropy programs and faculty and staff campaigns. And um, through my years, I went on to meet my husband, um, which is actually a funny story all in itself. Um, But but we met through a... um, through a alternative spring break trip. Um, so I was chaperoning a group of students um, in Washington, D.C. for an alternative spring break trip, and, and he had just moved there from Colorado. So that brought us together, and, and we lived in Maryland for a couple years and continued our education in higher um, ed while we both worked at University of Maryland. and. Um, came down to Raleigh almost three years ago, and... It's just been a wonderful journey of, um, you know, kind of that, that self-awareness and that growth and maturity as, as I've transitioned from my 20s into my 30s and um, have, have had, um, you know, gaps of time where I've been looking for my perfect match. And uh, Tammy Lynn Center fell into my lap through Association of Fundraising Professionals through a breakfast last June. And it's been an amazing organization, and, and I have great pride in impacting marginalized groups um, and, and helping others. And it, and it just brings me great joy and magic to be able to make matches with donors and volunteers and, and staff and, and the people we're impacting. How about you? What, what really... Um, brought you to philanthropy in the nonprofit sector? I graduated from college. I was in Washington, D.C., and I had an opportunity to work for the Public Welfare Foundation, International Foundation. 
an extraordinary board of directors with a vision, having impact by making grants. Uh, it was a wonderful time. I learned a lot. Uh, when I left there, I went to work for a community foundation starting uh, Asheville when they were first starting up their community foundation. So I came from the philanthropic arena. When I moved to the Triangle, there were no foundations here. It was pre-foundation. So I worked in the development field. Uh, one of my first jobs was with the Center for Public Policy Research. And while there, we did the directory, the first directory of foundations in North Carolina. Identified over 600 foundations that nobody really knew were that active. Uh, from there, I went to um, the U.S. Olympic Festival that was here, and we, we raised a lot of money. It was a lot of corporate money raised. Went to work for a public television foundation, again, raising money for uh, capital campaigns. I've started two consulting companies. One was Capital Consortium. We did capital campaigns. We did fundraising um, assessments board training, and another called Creative Philanthropy, which was an organization that worked with philanthropic donors, trying to help them with their giving, to be strategic. Uh, I was the director of the North Carolina Council for Women. We did a report on the status of women in 2012. The status of women sucks in this state. It has forever. It has not changed since 96, since the last report. And... Um, terrific group of people. We were providing funds, government funds, state funds, for domestic violence and sexual assault. Uh, after the transition there, I, I became executive director of uh, Dress for Success, which is an organization that helps unemployed, underemployed women find economic security, uh, meaningful employment, and livable wage jobs. So I've had this really amazing career that I think has given me an opportunity to be of service in ways that uh, I never thought possible. Uh, I love raising money. I love working with boards. I love helping create strategic philanthropic development programs. And to me, it's making a difference in the lives of other people, but mostly in my own life. They've given me the opportunity to really know uh, how powerful this sector is mm -hmm. and why, why it's important that we're here. And I think particularly with the Tammy Lynn Center, you're working with a unique population of individuals. I'm sure you're probably seeing challenges that are being faced with the medical services that are available to that population. What are you seeing as, as some of the greatest challenges with Tammy Lynn? I was uh, just thinking the same thing as I'm, you know, listening to you as a sitting across the table from a strong woman leader who has been an advocate for the philanthropic sector and women and has a, a wonderful, uh, diverse career over the past 35 years. Um, but uh, to me, with the Tammy Lynn Center and, and with my own kind of advocacy and personal viewpoints with the philanthropic sector, some of the challenges that I'm seeing, not necessarily with Tammy Lynn, so with Tammy Lynn, they really get this piece of it. So I'm really fortunate to have the support of um, our CEO and executive and president and um, the director of development and our wonderful board and volunteers and donors. They really get this, but a lot of nonprofit organizations don't, and especially locally. I really envision Raleigh being at the forefront of these issues, to be honest. We're not there yet but we will be. Raleigh and the Triangle is a thriving community that has continued 
to grow and prosper and change as policies and dynamics and, and social structures have changed. And I envision uh, that continuing and, and us, you and me, and the other leaders um, in this room and outside of this room um, being at the forefront of that. And, and what I mean is a lot of nonprofits um, locally and nationally and internationally they're underpaying their talent. They're not keeping their talent. Um, they're not giving the benefits and the flexibility and the autonomy of our talent. And it's really ridiculous um, because our talented people are changing the world. And we need to have that conversation with our executive leaders and our board and our donors and volunteers and say enough is enough. We need to invest and we need to elevate. And without that, you can't have proper donor stewardship. Um, you can't form relationships where the people are revolving outside of the sector or their position every two to two and a half years. That's just, they don't go hand in hand. So that's a challenge. Um, and I'm fortunate to be an organization that is that does invest um, in me and our talented staff. Um, but as part of my work with AFP, that's a big issue for me. Um, I also kind of see, you know, Medicaid and uh, federal and state funding continuing to be an issue. With that comes more reliance on the nonprofit sector, and which all goes into the same bucket. You know, we can't rely on the nonprofit sector without investing in the nonprofit sector. Um, we need permission to fail. We need, we need to fail. Uh, For-profits fail. Um, and with that comes innovation and prosperity and efficiency. And um, we need that from, from the public. Um, so this is just a few of the immediate things that come to mind. A lot more can be done and will be done. But I'm curious to, to hear your perspective on that, too, as a, as a strong leader. And with all your work in nonprofits and working with boards, what, what you're seeing out there. Well, I think the greatest challenge for the nonprofit is the leadership. It's the leadership starting from the boards. The boards have to understand their roles and responsibilities. They have to understand their fiduciary responsibilities. They have to understand that their responsibility is to raise money for the organization. They need to be trained how to do that and not be afraid to raise money. Because unless the board's going to start and be that leadership to give access to affluence and influence, that is a starter. You need a strong executive director, someone who's visionary, someone who knows how to work with the board to craft a strategy for where you want to be within one, two, three years, knowing what your programs are, knowing what your board's going to look like, knowing what your marketing, your visibility would be. All of those different pieces, you really need to flesh that out. And the challenge is raising enough financial resources to fund an organization and to provide enough staffing, quality staffing, and your point about quality, by providing quality people, there are extraordinary individuals in the nonprofit sector. And they work for completely under market rates. A huge percentage of people in the nonprofit sector have no health insurance provided. And I don't think a lot of corporate folks know that. Often when I'm talking to boards and they start talking about you know, what is expected of their staff and what we're paying them, sometimes I'll say, would you work for that at that level? To get them in the seats of understanding the work and the expectations of a nonprofit 
staff person, from an executive director to a program person, and to invest in them to make sure they stay. Your point about a revolving door, that development directors, about every two and a half, three years, they're gone. Executive directors, if you can keep someone for eight years, that's awesome. There's a lot of transition, and a lot of that's just driven by money. That if you're offered another ten, fifteen thousand dollars $15,000, you can't say no. Uh, time off for uh, having children, sick time, paid leave, if you have a parent that's ill, those things aren't even considered. And often, if a person gets sick in the nonprofit sector, they don't carry them. They won't keep them. And unfortunately, that is the culture we still have here, but it's based upon the fact we can't afford it, that we're, our budgets are so tight. So to me, I think the great challenge is the financial stability of the sector. I worry about government money, of what that's going to happen at the federal level. I have a lot of concerns about what the federal government will do, what the state government will continue to do, what they consider important, investments in education, investments in health care, investments in child care, all of those issues that are critical for a successful society, and yet people are fearful of making those investments. And I look to your generation. I mean, my generation, we've been out here forever. We were when Philanthropy Journal started, mm -hmm. Center for Nonprofits started, all those early years when these organizations were talking about these are the issues, we're not pushing the needle far enough. And I think for your generation, you're going to have to make change, that you're going to have to look at the world in a different way. How do we sustain ourselves? Earned income is critical. How do we start doing earned income? How do we look at... Um, more entrepreneurial opportunities for nonprofits. So I think funding is going to be the key issue in leadership. And in this next 10 to 15 years, who's going to step up? And where are the new thoughts, the new minds? Uh, the Young Professional Nonprofit Organization is terrific. They're thinking of these things. Diversity, inclusion, critical. Uh, but it's the new world. And, you know, those of us who are... Uh, the older folks look forward to new ideas and implementation of new concepts of what's the future going to look like. There's a real opportunity, and um, I think it would be foolish not to see it as such, of... Um, this community is visionary. Um, and I say that about the triangle, and I say that about the current talent pool of nonprofit professionals and leaders and donors and volunteers that we have. But we have to work together to execute that vision. We can't continue to talk about it. Um, and that's that's where I hope to flip the coin. Um, and it's a, and even by saying hope, you know, it's, it's an activation. It's a it's a to do. It's a it's a must do. It's a you know, it 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 is an investment of time, and thought and energy. But but we all have a responsibility to make that investment. And it's not just about us. It's about the philanthropic sector. It's about um, valuing our donors enough to invest in our talent so that everybody is having the best experience and our volunteers and our board members um, it's the exact same so um, 
so yeah. I think one of the things is uh, I have three kids. I've always worked in the sector. Um, I was a single mom for a number of years when I was working in the sector. It was hard. And I think that in the nonprofit sector, we need to be more cognizant of work-life balance, mm -hmm. particularly if you are um, an executive director. It's very difficult because you always worry about that organization. You never stop worrying about the budget, the funding, the staff, the operations, the program, the building, all of those things. And I think that uh, when you are a young professional, often they have families, and if you have a sick child, giving people time to um, be home with that child, doing work at home if necessary. If you have a sick parent, that you are given permission to go and take care of a family member. And I do think that work-life balance is something that corporations are much more cognizant of, and they incorporate it into their HR policies. And there are federal regulations about overtime. I don't think there is any federal regulations that are recognized for the nonprofit sector. People work overtime, mm -hmm. they um, work evenings because they don't have a choice. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a really interesting, how do we ensure that those who decide to take the path of working in the nonprofits are supported and given the time they need? They will do the work, there's no doubt. They will get the work done. Mm -hmm. But how do we layer work-life balance into that equation. And I'm sure my staff would probably say, you know, we felt the push, but we all felt the push. And um, so I'd be curious, again, that's, I think that's one of the millennials' strong points, is they are looking at more work-life balance, that they're not interested in working until they're very old. Mm -hmm. They want to have a um, quality of life issues. Absolutely. There's a there's a video that I've um, come to watch that I really admire, and it and it kind of it, it's about um, it's going back to what I mentioned earlier about special needs and how we're we're putting a certain group of people in a corner, and that we shouldn't be. This isn't these aren't special needs. These are human needs, and I think about that in regard to. Um, to work-life balance as well. I mean, we have to, as a working place, and this goes beyond nonprofits, of course, but as a working environment, and even as a professional development environment with conferences and professional programs, we have to think about what's important to us, what challenges us, what challenges us. Um, you know, for some, that that's mothers and fathers having to get home to their kids, having to get home to their pets to put food on the table, um, you know, like the uh, NyQuil commercial, mom and dad don't get sick days. Um, so, you know, what's important to them and what's keeping them from being at the table? And, and that goes into that equity piece, too. You know, if we're not alleviating some of the barriers that are keeping people from the ta table, then we're not doing a good enough job either. So really thinking outside of the box and saying, well, we need to start thinking about child care at conferences. We need to start thinking about doggy daycare at conferences. You know, maybe some time to be mindful. Maybe some time to get back and check emails instead of going through a, a day-long conference, keeping people from their work. Um, you know, and, and it's interesting because this isn't 
really anything um, out of scope of our minds because we're thinking it, but we just kind of keep moving in that direction because we're human without really changing it. So, um, you know, I feel that way, and and it's a big paradigm shift, and it's a systemic change, and it it's really difficult when the culture has been for so long that... Um, you know, don't fund, un, don't fund unrestricted, don't fund overhead. And you see people like the American Red Cross apologizing to it on, for it on live TV. Well, maybe there shouldn't have been an apology, you know, maybe we need to start demanding and educating that overhead, you know, this arbitrary, like, kind of culture of overhead has evolved, um, and at one time there was a place for that, but there no longer is a place for that, I feel. I feel like uh, that investment um, is, a, is a teachable moment and that in order for the nonprofit industry to survive competition, to survive automation, to survive, you know, with our, our donors and, and making systemic positive change in our world, we, we need to flip the script on that. And I think the whole issue around we only fund program. Well, you can't do program unless you're funding staff. Mm-hmm. That Those are just artificial uh, requirements that funders put into it. When you fill out a proposal, what is your administrative percentage? Well, you may not be honest when you're filling that out because if an executive director is this day, am I spending it on trying to get my 990 completed mm-hmm. and my audit completed? That is administrative. Mm-hmm. Fundraising? I can't do my work without fundraising. And program, you're always doing program. You're running back and forth. It's not like you can silo your days to be this that you're writing down the notes. And I think the reality is funders have to realize you can't get work done unless you have somebody looking at administrative overhead. Mm-hmm. Somebody's doing HR. Somebody's doing the payroll. All of those things, that those are artificial uh, request of funders, and I think funders need to also, and I've worked with a lot of funders, uh, a lot of funders, <laughs> and I, I think funders have got to move away from this position of they know everything, because they don't know everything. Come and spend a day in a nonprofit. See what it means. Don't come and, and tell the nonprofit, I've got a great idea, I think you should do this come in and be a part of the strategic planning. That I think funders, donors really need to shift their way of thinking and being walking up to the funder and the nonprofit and saying, what is it we can do for you to make your lives easier? Not expecting them to fill out a four page online proposal that you're doing repetition, you're saying the same thing over and over again that does not talk about your program. So I think there's a challenge to the donor community to get to know the nonprofit sector better by walking a mile in their shoes. Maybe we should start a take your board to work day Mm. or take your funder to work day and have your funder come and spend a day in your organization. To have somebody spend a day at Tammy Lynn, and I've spent a lot of time in Tammy Lynn in the past. It's a very powerful place, and you feel how the gratitude for the individuals who are serving, and you feel an appreciation and a loving kindness towards the people who are living in the home. I mean, they're really extraordinary people, but you forget they're people. And I think it's, let's make our boards spend a day in the office, one day, and just walk around and see what it means to be serving the population.
does your future look like? Well, my future is uh, very sweet. I um, have always really sort of put out there that I let me be of service every day. Let me know what I'm to do to be of service. And fortunately, I'm not having to work full-time right now. I'm only working 20 hours a week because I'm sort of retired. But I can't not work. And so what I feel like I have an opportunity to do is I have these lovely gifts and talents and skills that I've been given over my career. And I love being able to work with nonprofit organizations and share that information. I do a lot of mentoring. I do coaching. And so my future right now is allow me to be of service. One of the things I'm doing right now that I really love, I got certified in Nidra Yoga, which is conscious deep relaxation. And I'm doing, I don't charge for it, but I work with uh, individuals who, most people are overly stressed. They don't sleep. They're taking a lot of meds. They're depressed. And, and Yoga Nidra teaches you how to relax and to get quiet and to get centered. So I'm trying to incorporate that into my life as well and working with uh, a lot of my friends, a lot of professionals, of teaching them to relax. Because we can't continue at the stress level that we operate because it'll kill you. How about your future? What do you see as your future? Yeah, so I I am living in a very magical place right now. Um, and I say that on the, my personal level and with Tammy Lynn Center and AFP Triangle. Tammy Lynn Center will be celebrating our 50th anniversary the year starting in July 2019. I'll um, be in my presidency starting in January with AFP. Um, you know, I'm a part of this phenomenal organization who I just profoundly believe in in my entire being. And what a beautiful thing it has been to find my match and to be able to um, be at such a rewarding and supportive place with leaders and donors and volunteers and board members who really get it. Um, so I'm really looking forward to... Um, the continued growth and expansion with Tammy Lynn Center and being able to continuously welcome the community into this conversation and share that love. Um, we, I'm, I'm a part of an organization, you know, and in, in my work with Tammy Lynn Center is, you know, our, our clients and our residents and our kids, it's not a curable um you know, it's not a, it's not curable work, um, but we are enriching and empowering enriching and empowering the lives of these incredible people and and the families that support them. Um, so we're in this moment of time where um, you know, almost approaching fifty years, our our services started impacting um, kids, and these kids are now grown, and they're going to continue to grow. We have a few residents that have been with us for over 33 years, so they're going to continue to age, and, and we're really pioneers in what that looks like. Um, so it's a really exciting time in my work with Tammy Lynn, and, and of course with um, with AFP, looking forward to what my presidency looks like, and we're looking forward to working with the community on making the nonprofit and philanthropic sector in the triangle really a nationally recognized community beyond, you know, Raleigh already being a place to work, live, um, and 
you know, play, let's add, you know, kind of the good philanthropic piece to that, too. Raleigh is the place to give. Raleigh is the place to be in the good, in the work of good. Um, And we've come together to alleviate major issues. So I look forward to, to what that looks like. And it's just a it's a just a great place to be right now. Mm-hmm. I think one of the other issues is uh, to continue to expand the nonprofit sector to address diversity, to make sure that boards and staff and um, everything about it reflects the nature of this community, that yes. it represents uh, African Americans, Latinos, Asian, uh, young, old gay, transgender, whatever it is, that we are representative of the community at large and that the sector is very intentional about that diversity to make sure that we do incorporate that and give a voice that, you know, we're a community and that means we reflect the face of everybody that lives in the community. So I hope that becomes a part of a challenge, but I know, like, like I said, the young nonprofit professionals, that's important for them. The Center for Nonprofits, North Carolina Center for Nonprofits, they're very committed to that as well. So I think it's important in the future as we make sure that we're intentional incorporating that. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to The Nonprofit Experience. The Nonprofit Experience is a project of the Philanthropy Journal. Our managing editor is Sandy Sear. Our graduate editor is Kristen Gallihu. Our graduate assistant editor is David Mueller, and our communication assistant is Haley Jones. This episode was produced by David Mueller, who also wrote our theme music. We didn't have any problems talking. I feel like did we, we could have talked all we day, could have. Beth. <laughs> could have. I was like, um, I hope we're not like three hours in. You know, <laughs> just like, oh, they why, would let us know why stop now?